Let's open our Bibles this morning to Titus chapter 2. Titus is right before Hebrews, right after 1st and 2nd Timothy. I'm sorry, there's Philemon, a little bitty book in between Hebrews and Titus. We'll be looking at the whole second chapter today. Really, two words, one hyphenated word out of that entire chapter, but we'll read the whole chapter. So if you're able, stand with me as we read the Word of God. Heavenly Father, grant us understanding today by the power of your Spirit that it would, he would descend upon us, that our eyes would be open and our minds attuned with yours and what you have for us today that our lives might reflect how it is that you call us to live. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Titus chapter 2. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is the inspired word of God for us today. Please be seated. Just just to start with, verse 15, these things, and that's referring specifically to what came prior, speak and exhort and reprove with all authority, let no one disregard you. I think because of the context, and we'll see what the context is in just a moment, Paul is telling Titus, get this through their heads. Okay, don't let anybody slough it off and say, oh, well, that's nice, but it doesn't apply to me. Drive it home. Speak, exhort, reprove. And how should he do this? With all authority. And Paul is speaking specifically about the authority that comes to Titus through the laying on of hands, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, through the calling that is upon him. 
to preach the gospel and to work at this particular church. And he says, let no one disregard you. Uh, it's, it's, it's just like it piles it on top of one another. Get this through their heads. Don't let anybody disregard guard it. So don't disregard it. <laughs> okay. Self-control. Oh, oh. Can't we pick another topic? Self-control. Oh. I, I read an article about, a, I forget his name. He was the Secretary of State under President Clinton at one time. And he would go into his office and he would have all these papers and things to read and to study. And as he would start, he would lay out M&Ms across his desk. Now, when I eat M&Ms, I go in the bowl and I've got a handful and I go like that. He would read for 15 minutes and eat one M&M. And then he would read for 15 minutes and eat one M&M. <laughs> it's, it, if you have a dog, you understand this. The dog is sitting there. And he's, he's inching closer to you. And his little tongue is coming out. And all he wants is to eat everything on your plate. And you're going to give him one little bite. And what does he do? Does he put it in his mouth? And does he savor it? And does he go, oh, man, that was so good. No, he goes, and he wants another one. All right? That's kind of how I eat M&M's. Well, self-control. I mean, there they are. Lined up. All those pretty colors, candy-coated chocolate, calling his name. And what does he do? He disregards them. He exercised self-control. Uh, he may have had other issues. I don't know. Okay, but, but, but he exercised self-control there right in front of him. The self-controlled person rejects the notion that if it feels right, it is right. The self-controlled person accepts the fact that we can't live just the way we feel like living. We have to say, we have to learn to say no to some of the things we really want to do and yes to some of the things we really don't want to do. Okay. Professionally, we all know, uh, this was explained to me oh, many, many years ago in this fashion. You got your green lights, your yellow lights, and your red lights. Green lights, I love to do it. Okay, I'm on it. I could do those things all day. Yellow lights, well, I'm not that excited about it, but, but when I run out of green light things, I do my yellow lights. And then there are the red lights that you try to get somebody else to do because you hate to do them. And they pile up on your desk and they start calling your name and you know there's the pile of the red light things that you don't want to do, but yet they're calling you. And then, then the guilt starts to, to you know, rise up upon you. Self-control means we do those things that sometimes we know we don't want to do, but we must do them. We must do them. You have to put, self-control is like putting a governor on your own desires. Now, when I was 13, 14, 15, I worked at a pro shop at a country club. And for those of you who have ever driven a golf cart, the golf carts we had were the old Harley-Davidson with a gas engine, and they were three wheels, and they had a, a, instead of a steering wheel, they had a triangle here, and, and you would just steer it like this. And we learned that, in our own minds, we figured out that there was a governor on each golf cart that would limit its speed. So, being three teenage boys, we took two carts and took the governors off. And then every Monday, when we would go up, when the club was closed, we would go up and wash the carts, we would 
get those two without the governor that we had stashed in the back of the shed, and we would pull them out, and we would drive those and race those. Well, as, as the Lord is good, the Lord protects the dumb and the blind and the minister and the minister-to-be. I wasn't there that Monday, and, and the other two guys, they're racing those Harley-Davidson golf carts for all they're worth, and one of them, wrap, he doesn't wrap it around, but he, one of them goes it right into a tree with it. And that was the last day that we were allowed to go and watch carts on Monday, okay? That was also the beginning of the end of the Harley-Davidson carts. But it was a governor, and a governor is there to limit the speed which you can go. Self-control is the governor in our lives that limits us of how we act, where we go, how we demonstrate, or how we, how we contain, in a sense, that sin that still remains within each of us as believers. Now, this is a major topic in Paul's ministry. Now, you can understand that Paul is going around and he's planting churches in pagan pagan cities, where this is the first generation, for many of them, out of um, lifestyles that said to worship your God, you need to indulge your passions. You need to indulge yourself in whatever it was you want to do because that was considered to be worship. Corinth, Athens, all these places where they had these deities and these places to worship. And but now Paul is saying, but along comes Christ. And, he, and Christ says you must exercise self-control in these areas. Self-control in these areas. Acts 24, as an example, Paul is uh, interacting with the governor of Judea, Felix, and his wife, uh, Drusilla. Uh, And it says they discuss three things, three things, righteousness, the judgment to come, and self-control. Now, why would he discuss discuss self-control with Drusilla and Felix? Well, Felix was a particularly uh, nasty individual, and Drusilla wasn't much better herself, and they kind of connived their way to get together, and uh, it was just a real mess. And Paul goes up and preaches self-control to these two people who were obviously without self-control. Later, Paul writes to Timothy that in the last days the world will become increasingly undisciplined, and men and women would be increasingly characterized by their lack of self-control. By their lack of self-control. Now, the context of what Paul is doing here is in Titus, and it also is tied with First and Second Timothy. These are the pastoral letters. So Paul is writing to guys, these two young men, who are working in churches, and he is giving pastoral advice to them. The year is about 63, 64. Um, Paul left Timothy at Ephesus, and Paul and Titus travel on to the island of Crete. And, and what word do we get from Crete? Cretans. And what are Cretans? They're nasty people. Now, why would they be nasty people? Because they were nasty people. That was the reputation that they had across the land. Okay, That the Cretans were undisciplined. That's why Paul says, teach them self-control. They were undisciplined. They were nasty people. First uh, Titus 12, uh, one of... One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. That's a reputation to try to live down, isn't it? As a whole, the entire island, this is what one of their own prophets says about the people that he lives among. 
So Paul is writing to Titus, who is doing ministry here in this setting. And he says, I want to give you some some instructions on how to form and develop churches, how to develop church leadership on this island that is full of these types of people. And one of the big issues that he pushes is self-control. It's in chapter 1, it's in chapter 2, self-control. Now, how do we learn self-control? Well, Paul gives us some examples of how it is that we learn self-control. And I want to say, unfortunately, self-control is like patience. How many of you have been praying for patience? Well, that's a... That's a I can't say it's a bad thing to pray for, but the only way to get patience is what? To have your patience tested. Lord, give me self-control. You will never have to exercise self-control until you come face-to-face with those things that you don't want to exercise self-control on. Oh, I'd rather do that. That that is good. I like that. And the Lord says, no, now's the time. You prayed for self-control. Here's your opportunity to demonstrate it and to exercise it. And it becomes an issue of the will. Now, the Spirit lives within the believer. Remember, the Holy Spirit comes upon each believer at the moment of conversion. You have the power to exercise self-control. The question is, will you? That's the issue, our wills. We know what the Word says. We have the Spirit within us. But do we want to? Do we want to exercise self-control? That's always the issue. Well, if I had to say, where did I learn self-control in my life? I look back and I see the people who were examples to me and how they exercised it in their own lives. And that's exactly how Paul says we are to learn it. Verse 2, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossip, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, and on and on and on. Young women, you are to learn from the older women. Older women, this is your job. You've got the knowledge, you've got the experience, you've got the wisdom. Your lives should be demonstrations of the things of godliness, and in particular today, for self-control. Where else will young mothers and young wives and young women learn about how to be godly women? They will look at you. Now, we have a, the alternative is that they will watch Oprah and learn from Oprah. Did you hear about the woman who spent an entire year following all of Oprah's advice? Her life went down the drain. (laughs) Okay. She just went right down the drain. Everything that Oprah said you should do financially, uh, emotionally, relationship-wise, she did those things. Her life went down the drain that year. Where will young women learn to be godly? Where will they learn to be good mothers? Well, well, you know, you might say, well, I'm not that good. I, I, I don't want to be an example. You are an example. Accept it. Embrace it. Live it. Young ladies, go and find those women who are godly and learn from them. Men, same type of thing. 
Where do we learn to be godly men? Where do we learn to go in the workforce every day and maintain our Christian ethic, or maintain our Christian values, to faithfully, faithfully live out what Christ has called us to do from other men who have been in the workforce, who have families, on and on and on, the list goes on, who have done that for years, who know what it's like, who have the gray hair, so to speak, of society, that society has pressed upon them and tried to conform them, but they have maintained their Christian faith through all of that. No, they've not been perfect, but yet they have maintained it. That's where we, as younger men, need to look. Well, when, does you, when do you become an older man? I'm not one yet, so I don't have to worry about that, right? No. You, who's younger than me? Um, 48. Who is, what man is not 48 in here? Put your hand up if you're not 48, okay? Well, okay, everybody from me up, you are going to be watching. Who's older than 48? Okay, I'm going to be watching you guys, okay? That's just the way it works. That's the way it works. You've got, some of you have got a lot of years on me, okay? I expect to be able to learn from you how to walk as a man in Christ. How I should treat my wife how I should treat my children, how I should go to work every day with the, eye, uh, with the eye to glorify God in no matter what that I do. Where else could I learn it? Could I go to the world and learn those things? No. No. I'll learn selfishness in the world. I'll learn how to serve my own purposes. One of the big problems that we face, young couples go out and, and you know, Sometimes they, they come to me and seek counsel on, on their marriages. And they say, well, well, my friends are telling me this. Well, well, are your friends full of faith? Well, no. Have your friends had a successful life or successful marriage? Well, no, no not really. Well, then why do you listen to them? Go and find somebody who is much older than you, who has been through this, and learn from them. Call them up. Take them to dinner. Ask them the questions. Ask for their counsel. That's what Scripture tells us to do. They will learn self-control from those who have exercised it longer in their lives. Okay? That's how it will work. Turn over with me to Galatians chapter 5. of the word self-control means power or lordship. So if we're going to exercise self-control, we are going to exercise power over those things that tend to take us out of control. Or we're going to exercise lordship over those areas of our lives. Now understand, Christ is our Lord, Savior and Lord. You can't divide the two. He can't just be your Savior. He must be your Lord. You must be in subjection to the things of Christ. By being in subjection to him, then we are able to put other things in subjection to him in our lives. Thus, exercising self-control. Self-control is clearly evident as, as a qualification if you want to be an officer in the church, an elder or a deacon. You must exercise self-control in your life. Now, understand there's the caveat, none of us do this perfectly. And we'll see that in a moment. But we must exercise self-control in our lives. It means overruling your emotions because 
of the call of Christ upon our lives. Now, Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians, uh, chapter 5, um, where do we want to start? Let's start in verse 16 of chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So you, if you're going to live a self-controlled life, specifically here about self-control when it comes to the area of the desires of the flesh, you must first walk by the Spirit. And if you remember, how is it that we walk by the Spirit? We fill our minds with the things of the Word. We fill our minds with the things of Christ. What does he call us to do? How does he call us to live? We dwell upon the word. We go to him in prayer. We spend time and we grow in that intimate relationship. That is how we walk by the spirit. For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Self-control. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are, and this is a what we call a vice list. There are several other vice lists in Scripture, Romans chapter 1, also in Corinthians. They are a long list of those things which are, how do we say, vices, vice, vices, uh, no-nos. Uh, and in fact, in Revelation, we'll look in a minute, you can't get into heaven if, these are the way, if this is the way you live. You will not get into heaven. 19, this is the list. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. If you want to live under your own power, if you want to live according to the world, then these things will fill your life. You may not be the chief of sinners, but these things will inform your life. They will fill your life. But the fruit of the Spirit, and again, just to review, fruit is singular. All of these things are present in every believer's life. You don't get to pick and choose. Well, I don't have self-control. That's not one of my fruits. No, it is a fruit of the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you have all of these things as the believer. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. So we see this list, self-control. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, says, A counterfeit of sanctification is restraining grace. You have to understand, sanctification is that lifelong process of growing and more and more conforming your life to the things of Christ, becoming godlier. Okay? But he says, there are those who really seek sanctification, and there are those who are just saying no to that vice list. And there's a distinction between the two. When men forbear vice, though they do not hate it. Some people just stay away from those things. The believer is called to hate those things. And there is a big distinction. 
There are those people who aren't believers who are just nice people. You know what? I've got a neighbor and they just a good guy. He doesn't do any of these things. He forbears. He just stays away from those. He doesn't actually hate them. As believers, we are called to hate the sin. Sin is curbed. It is not cured. A lion may be in chains, but he is still a lion. Okay. The distinction that Watson is talking about is that the believer is called not just to avoid sin, but to hate sin. To hate sin. Now, we all sin. We fail to exercise self-control sooner or later in our lives. The Word of God bases its estimation of a person's character not on the infrequent or out of the ordinary lapse into these things, but on the habitual practice of these things. There are two Greek words that talk about it. One means that point in time, and the other means linear, that you do it again and again and again. There are those who practice habitually these sins. They will never enter the kingdom of heaven because their hearts do not hate sin. In fact, they love sin. We see in Revelation chapter 21 that, um, you know, nothing unrighteous can get into heaven. Nothing unrighteous can get into heaven. Well, how many of us sin today? Okay. Does that make us unrighteous? But if, you're, if your name is written in what, you can get into heaven. The Lamb's book of life. Now, are those names which are written in the Lamb's book of life perfect? Do we perfectly exercise self-control each and every day? No, we do not. And that's the distinction. There are those who are forgiven, who Christ has come upon, who is called by name. And every once in a while, we will slide into those sins. We will do the things that we shouldn't do. We will not exercise self-control. There's a distinction between that and those who habitually purposely pursue sin. Let me give you the short course on what on what uh, self-control is. Just a couple things here. Self-control is primarily inward, secondarily outward. You must control the issues of your heart. You can't just say, well, I won't do that, I won't do that, even though your heart may long to do that. You've got to work on your heart so that your heart is right. Self-control operates under the spirit control. Remember, the spirit indwells us, so it's kind of we have to ham and egg with the spirit. The spirit gives us power. We must exercise our own wills. Self-control is not my self-will, but it is connected to my will. It is connected to my will. I must come face to face with those things in life that call me by name, that say, Randy, do you remember us? Come, come with us, okay? Come and spend time with us. Those are the things that I must avoid. Those are the things which will take me away from Christ. But yet they call me. They know me well. And I must, exer- I must exercise self-control and say no to those things. And say no to those things. Now, I'm not being legalistic. Self-control is not legalism. It is simply walking according to the word. And to do so humbly. And with patience. Self-control is not asceticism where you go off and deny yourself everything and live like a monk. That is not self-control. Christ has placed us here in this world in the midst of non-believers so that we might demonstrate these things and live out our Christian faith. And self-control is not rigid, but it is flexible. 
Self-control is, I don't want to say this. Let me illustrate it. You're exercising your self-control. You're in your quiet time. Here you are. You're reading the Bible. And you, you, this is your self-control. You get up at, at 4.30 every morning and you read the scripture for an hour. Okay? For some reason, your 10-year-old gets up early that day and comes downstairs and says, Dad, I'm ready for my breakfast. And you say, get away from me. I'm exercising self-control and reading the word. No, no, that just doesn't go over well. Okay? You must maintain self-control is maintaining rigid flexibility at all times. Think about that. Okay? Self-control in the things of Christ. But you must exercise that with love and patience and gentleness. How many areas in our lives do we have to exercise self-control? Oh, man. Your body, your emotions, your time, your mind, your finances, your tongue. The list goes on and on. Your relationships. These are areas that self-control must be demonstrated each and every day. Is it a big job? Well, yes, of course it is. But we have the power of the Spirit that works within us. Are we able to do this? Yes. How can I learn to do this? Watch those who are older than you in the faith, and how do they do it? Go and seek them out. Spend time with them. Do you have a particular area in your life where you are having problems exercising self-control? Go and find. If you're a lady, go and find an older woman. If you're a man, go and find an older man who is a strong believer, and sit down and say, I'm having difficulties with this. How have you mastered those areas in your life? Will you pray with me? Will you meet with me? Will you help me? That's what the body of Christ is to do for one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be gracious to us, for we are imperfect. There are times, even Paul said, I do the things I know I shouldn't do, and I don't do the things I know that I should do. Paul, this, the one who planted most of the New Testament churches, the one in whom you inspired and spoke through, he had difficulty with self-control. What makes us think that we won't? Of course we will. But there is a power available to us to strengthen us, to guide us, that we might rely upon. Lord, it is a question of our wills, but as believers, we have that capacity to obey. Point out to us the areas in our lives, Lord, where we need to exercise more self-control. Take us to someone, someone who is older and wiser in the faith, that we might learn from them that we might come to them, that they might be insightful into our lives and how we might grow in this area. Lord, let us operate, like Paul says, like the church is supposed to, caring for one another, not bringing judgment upon one another, but being encouragers, helping to grow, helping to move closer to Christ. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.
Fill me with life anew. Let's stand as we sing 161, Breathe on Me, Breath of God. 161.